Hey, hey everybody okay so today we are actually going to get a little bit into the psychological mumbo jumbo and all of that beautiful stuff we do here on the decoded project um, because i believe truly that understanding the brain understanding your past understanding your characteristics and personality and tendencies and behaviors and all that stuff helps to inform how you make decisions moving forward, how you grow your business, how you have productive relationships in your life, especially business relationships, especially if you have a team or if you are a leader in any regard. I feel like it is incredibly important for you to know these things so that you can be self-aware, have an increased, you know, awareness of your emotional intelligence because leaders that are effective uh, and highly respected have, you know, great emotional intelligence and those that really struggle have lower emotional intelligence. And, you know, when I say that word, it's just, it's a clinical term. So um, it's not meant to throw shade at people who, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, you're emotionally dumb or anything like that. Um, it just talks about or, or what it's seeking to explain when we talk about emotional intelligence is how you process emotions, how you cope, how um, it informs your behavior and things of that nature, you know, how you react to things or how proactive you are in regards to your emotional involvement uh, and the relationships you have with you and others, you in the world, things like that. So we're actually going to like dive deep into this. So I hope you are ready to do lots of introspection, lots of looking deep down inside and allowing this to really inform um, how present you are in your life and, and how much you're looking at yourself and how aware you are of your behaviors and how you can lean into them. I'm not even going to say change because obviously we always want to grow, um, but this isn't meant to look at you and say, oh my gosh, this attachment style is wrong. This personality is wrong. You know, it's literally just to inform you so that you are aware because awareness is where growth happens. Okay. Kind of like they say the first stage to you know, truly changing anything is admitting that you even have a problem or admitting, you know, and, and a lot of those stages that prevent you from growth is denial. So one of the things you might even have several aha moments like, oh my God, Courtney. <laughs> um, so sit down, you're in the therapist's couch now. Um, so strap in and get ready to really look inside yourself because we are going way back to childhood because that is essentially where most of these things are formed. Most of your behavior patterns, your thought processes, your emotional responses, your tendencies and impulses are all rooted in uh, your childhood and how you were raised, your more specifically your attachment style. And this is really in, uh, formed in your first, you know, what we call your formidable years, like your first one to six years of life. Um, and this is one of the most pivotal things that caregivers can do for children. Um, and so if you're a parent, you're welcome. <laughs> like, this may this may really inform your parenting style or it may really freak you out because you're like, oh my gosh, I see these in my child and I'm not, I, I don't want them to feel this way. So how do I fix it? 
Um, good news is if they're under six or seven, like chances are you can totally change that with lots and lots of regular behavior patterns, right? Consistency in one regard. Um, chances are if they are older than that, it's really already instilled. Um, but the good news is, is you can teach them some coping skills uh, because that's what we have to do as adults, right? We can't kind of go back and, and change what happened in our childhood. So we just got to kind of learn to cope with it. So enough of the buildup. Let's just get right into it. And so there are four main attachment styles and over the years they've kind of been given different terms to feel more relevant kind of like most things do in life um so if you hear me use them interchangeably that's totally okay the name really doesn't matter it's just the characteristics within each uh attachment style that you kind of have to worry about um and so we're going to kind of dive right in and so i want to talk about the first one which is a secure attachment Okay, so as a child, right, you maybe you were able to separate from your parent, you didn't really cry a lot, you settled in really easy, you know, think about when you were dropped off at your grandparents or at a sleepover or at daycare or school, you didn't have temper tantrums, you didn't flop on the floor and cry, you know, you might have teared up a little bit and been a little sad, but you adjusted fairly quickly, okay? Um, you run to your parents or the caregiver when you're frightened, right, you look to them as a secure uh, measure of comfort. Um, you return to the parents or your caregiver when met with positive emotions. So, you know, when you experience positive things, they're like the first person you want to tell, you know, you run to them again, it's, it's comforting. Um, and you prefer parents over strangers. You prefer your caregivers over strangers because, you know, again, you have that comfortable relationship with them. Okay. As an adult, you probably have good, trusting, long lasting relationships. Friendships are really secure. There's lots of equal give and take. Uh, you're comfortable sharing your feelings with friends and partners. You're not closed off. You're you're pretty open. Um, you I don't want to say like you trust easily, like you overly trust, but um, when you establish a good bond with them. You're open and trusting. You don't overthink. You don't think, oh my gosh, what if this person turns their back on me? What if this? You kind of look at it and say, you know, it is what it is. Right now, I trust this person. Everything seems to be going well. I can open up to them. Um, and you seek out social support because, again, you look at the world as a generally trusting place. You look at the world as a generally safe place. Now, obviously, as an adult, you're very informed and you know that you know, the world has its ups and downs, the world has its downfalls, but generally you look at it like a pretty positive space, okay? Um, you know, and so the next one, you know, well, actually, you know what, before we move into that, I kind of want to talk about some of the characteristics. So like, those are like the behaviors, but the characteristics that you might be able to see within yourself or other people, you know, very resilient. They are able to bounce back. If they have, um, something happen in their life, they do not get stuck in a depressive state, an anxious state, a grieving state. They are very resilient. They bounce back almost instantly. You know, they have a moment, but they have high high emotional intelligence and so they are able to process the moment as a moment and move forward they're um non-reactive meaning you know they take in what's happening around them they process it and then they they behave accordingly so they're not highly emotionally responsive right think of those people that when you talk to them they're kind of explosive or they break down and cry or they internalize it 
this is not somebody with a secure attachment style, right? They're non-reactive. It doesn't mean that they're stone cold. It just means that they're able to kind of approach the situation um, even keel, okay? They don't have a strong reaction, whether internally or externally, okay? They are very reciprocal. They understand, you know, quid pro quo. They know, you know, you do for me, I do for you. They aren't like a relationship succubus, right? So we talk about life givers and life suckers. You know, there are people who are life suckers. And that's not, it sounds like a super negative way to talk about it. But what it means is they attach to others because they need what you're giving in order, what you're giving off in order to receive life, in order to receive love in order to receive those things so they're but but the person they're doing it to it's sucking life from them right so they're looking at like I have to in order for me to get life and get love and get respect and get those things I have to suck it from you I have to extract it from you okay these are not the people with secure attachments they're also very confident they are very secure in themselves so they are very confident they know their relationship with the world they know their worth right so you know they trust fairly easily they're very in tuned with their emotions they can communicate almost flawlessly when upset they're direct they don't avoid you know conflict because again they're very uh they're very confident. Um, they're very good leaders because they lead with, co- you know, they're very cooperative, they're flexible in their behavior, and they understand that other people aren't like them. And they don't have necessarily um, unrealistic expectations, but they do have high expectations, um, like a mid-level expectation, like they, you know, know what they're worth and they don't settle for certain things. So that's a secure attachment style. You might be looking at that and go, yep, totally me, okay? You might be looking at that and be like, wow, I would love to be that way, <laughs> you know? Um, and if you're thinking that, then you probably don't have that attachment style and it's okay. Again, remember, this is not to make you feel bad. This is not to call you out. This is not to anything. Everybody, you cannot, here's the thing. It doesn't speak to who you are as a person because you cannot help your attachment style. This was not something you formed yourself, okay? This is something that kind of happened to you as you were being raised, you know, um, and again, it doesn't have to be your parents. It's whoever you looked at as a caregiver. So it could have been whoever you had a really close relationship with, whoever you looked at as your caregiver, whoever you spent, you know, a really good time with, whoever you bonded to, who, whatever, whoever that is, right? Uh, you might have had parents, but if you practically lived at your aunt's house and they had a really secure attachment style with you and they lent these kind of behaviors to you in the way that they quote unquote raised you, then you may have still grown up you know, with a secure attachment style, even if your parents were kind of crappy, right? So, um, it doesn't always have to do with like the exact, like where you were born or who you were born into, like the family, but whoever you look to as a caregiver, whoever that child uh, looks at. And so, Don't look at these and shame yourself because again, you cannot help your attachment style. So on the same token, you can help your behaviors. However, these right here are your default, meaning you will always want to default to these characteristics, to these reactions, to these behaviors and thoughts. But as an adult, you have the ability to cope. You have the ability to adapt and change and be flexible and be more aware, emotionally intelligent and shift some of these behaviors. But the more attuned you are to yourself and your own attachment style and your own shortcomings and your own characteristics, 
the more likely you're able, the more likely you are able to engage in being more self-aware and changing them. Okay. So as I'm going through and talking about these, um, just the way we talk about things like this, these characteristics, these words in everyday life, they tend to have a negative connotation. So I want you to kind of take, take that away. Okay. I don't want you to have that stuck in your head as I'm going through and be like, wow, I'm a horrible person because I have dismissive, you know, avoidant attachment style or I have a fearful avoidant, you know, no, 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 no. In fact, the more aware you are and the more you accept them as a reality, the more you are able to look at them, identify them, accept them and go, yep, you're, you're able to have some radical acceptance, right? So if you haven't been around this podcast for quite some time, you know that we talk about that a lot. Go to like, I think it's like episode two or three or whatever, um, where we talk a lot about radical acceptance and what that is. And then you need to engage in that regularly because it just makes you such um, more of an emotionally intelligent person. And you really need this to be able to have any kind of successful you know, life or relationship or whatever. So moving forward, there's the secure attachment style, right? We talked about that. Let's talk about the preoccupied, right? Or, you know, what they call now as the, you know, anxious, okay? So the anxious one and, <clears throat> excuse me. So the anxious or preoccupied one is they're, they have an emotional hunger. They are very driven by emotions. They need to be fed emotionally. Um, you know, they very much have... Um, they, they hold emotions in high regard, you know, how loved they feel, how secure they feel. Uh, you need, these are people who really need lots of outward, um, their love languages, they need them spoken very loudly in order for them to be receptive, okay? For those of you guys who don't know what love languages are, it's the way we interact with people and how we feel love and give love, right? So acts of service, you know, words of affirmation, gifts, you know, all those things. So if you've never heard about it, go get that book, Love you know, The Five Love Languages, read up on them and get to know them because they are really going to serve you. Okay. So, um, you know, they're overly invested and involved in close relationships. So these are people who are highly dependent, right? You ever know those people who like they go through a breakup and literally it rocks their world to the point where like they cannot function. They might, they might engage in, you know, like self-harm, um, because they have, you know, so they don't have, they're not insecure, but their worth and their value is very dependent on others, their value in others' eyes, their relationships with other people, their friends, their significant others, their family. Okay. So they don't have a sense of self-worth themselves. They derive it from other people. So if another person is like, you're a piece of crap, you're worthless. They literally take that on and believe it. Because again, like that's how they get their self-worth. Okay. Uh, they might be very demanding. So these are people who might be looked at as, you know, kind of a pain in the butt, <laughs> um, you know, because they're very particular. They need things a certain way when things don't go that way. You know, they have highly emotional responses, um, they can be when they get into that emotional space again, because they depend on their self-worth, they tend to become pretty needy. Um, they tend to really, again, they're, they're, they're like life sucking. So they're like, I, I need my self-worth. I need confidence. I need this. I need to know that I'm loved and I have to suck it out of you. I have to extract it from you in order for me to feel that. Right. Um, and so these were people who, when they, you know, were children, their parents were, you know, overly attached. 
attached, okay? And I know there's lots of parents are going to um, argue this, that there is no such thing. But here's the thing, there is. There is such a thing as being overly attached. Um, and it's and it's mostly just because you are preoccupied with securing the child from anything that could affect them in what you perceive as negative, right? These are people who put their children in little bubbles and do everything for them. They like never go to friends' houses because they're always around them. They're like, no, 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 no. You don't want to go to the circus with Johnny. You want to go to the circus with me, right? And they live, eat, breed their child. They, you know, not that there's anything wrong with sleeping together. I'm just saying like they sleep in the same bed. They eat the same stuff. They eat at the same time. They do this. They're never, ever, ever apart, Okay, what this does is it doesn't give the child room to explore, room to fail, room to develop parts of their brain that are needed as an adult. Because at some point, as a child, as a teenager, as an emerging adult, as an adult, they are going to need to be on their own for some period of time and they are going to have no skills. Do you know what this does? This creates a very preoccupied and very anxious person, a very controlling person. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they control others, but they need to control. And, and sometimes that actually transitions into being highly controlled themselves. Um, a lot of these people will be high achievers, but at the expense of their own mental health, their own well-being. Um, a lot of these people will actually um, are very... Uh, not, so these ones aren't necessarily really prone to drug and alcohol abuse, but they actually are very prone to self-harming behaviors, whether that is cutting, whether that is burning, whether it is, so they're very, they can be very self-loathing. They feel like they have to punish themselves when there are shortcomings. Um... And sometimes this can mean like even like restricting of food. People who um, are in this category um, also tend to have bad relationships with food, whether it is overeating and eating to fill an emotional need or undereating and, and restricting their food intake as a means of either punishing themselves or again, having something to control. Um, and so this can look like people who are overly concerned about what others think, people who will actually again try to control the situation by assuming what others think and then reacting before that other person has had a chance to even react, <laughs> right? Do you know that person where, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I know that Johnny's mad at me, so I'm just going to leave because I just can't handle that. And like Johnny's over there like, wait, I'm not mad, but they don't know that because they've already made this like prejudgment in their head. And they react accordingly because, again, they need to control it. They don't want to be told by Johnny that they did something wrong and that, you know, whatever needs to happen and these are, you know, the outcomes because they can't control that. So what they can control is leaving preemptively to avoid some of those things, okay? And it's not that, again, we're going to get into another attachment style, which is avoidant, but this one is more so anxious. These are people who actually also suffer a lot from um anxiety, PTSD, OCD, lots of the anxiety disorders. And again, the attachment style comes from, you know, uh, parents not allowing the child to explore their emotions, explore their problem solving skills. They always solve the problem for the child, right? Uh, they never let them um, experience any emotional discomfort. So if the child was crying, the parent was like literally right there and solved the problem Im immediately. Um, you know, if the child didn't like something and they cried and they expressed any emotional discomfort, the parent eliminated whatever was giving them the discomfort like 
immediately. And I know that I'm not even going to get into parenting debates about, you know, all these methods that are out there and whatever, because, (laughs) you know, and again, a lot of that stems from parents who parent that way also have an anxious, preoccupied attachment style. And so they lend that to their child. (laughs) Okay. So they end up parenting how um, they parent out of their own attachment style, which then passes it along to their child. Okay. And you're going to notice that trend. So um, you might think to yourself, do I have a lot of anxiety? Do I look to others for approval? Um, You also might, um, I don't want to say lack nurturing, but you can even be, you can, first of all, you, you look at people as an adult, again, um, you look at people as a means of, um, an economical exchange, an emotional economic exchange, meaning I will feel this way and I will give you this emotionally if, but I need it to get this. You don't just give love to give it. You give love in return for something else. You give love in return for self-worth, for confidence, for acceptance, for, you know, value, for whatever. Um, you also have a lot of turbulence in your relationships because again, you know, there's no status quo. There's no happy medium. You know, you heavily rely on emotions, giving and getting. And so, you know, you're very triggered by things and you have a tendency to act out. These are people who have emotional outbursts, whether it is sad or crying or leaving or storming out or yelling or throwing things or whatever. Um, sometimes it can even be like if someone ticks you off, Right you have to then act out to almost kind of get revenge, right? You're like, fine, if you're going to do this, I'm going to go make you jealous. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. So you might start, you might be seeing yourself and be like, oh my God. (laughs) But again, remember, these are not things. These are not tendencies and uh, default behaviors that you can, that you formed yourself. Okay. These are things that formed long ago when you was a kiddo. Okay. Um, so you cannot help that default setting. Okay. So get that out of your head, especially since I'm talking to the anxious, preoccupied people right now who are highly emotional, who need that value, who are probably wanting to turn this podcast off because they're like, screw her. <laughs> Remember, I'm not saying that there is anything wrong. I am saying you could not help this because it's the way that you were raised. Okay, so let's move on. (laughs) Um, You know, like we talked about, you know, before we move on, let's just kind of talk about what this looks like. We didn't really discuss too, too much about what it looks like as an adult, you know, um, and so let's just kind of explore that a little bit for, for that, um, for that personality style. And so you're kind of reluctant to become close to other people, right? You are very closed off. You have a tendency to be perceived as pretty cold. Um, you are very closed off emotionally. Um, again, because you, um, have probably been hurt by others and you internalize that very, very deeply. You worry, um, constantly that your partner doesn't love you. You're constantly having to seek out that acceptance. You're constantly worrying that they're falling out of love with you, right? You're always worried that your friends really aren't your friends. And then you're trying to tell yourself that they're not your friends so that you avoid getting hurt, right? Um, so you have very little, uh, 
confident and secure relationships, whether it is intimate relationships, it is friendships, it is whatever. Um, because again, you're so closed off emotionally because you need them so much. You've learned to almost safeguard against it and you have trust issues. But then when you're in that relationship, you're overly attached. And again, that's why you've been so hurt is because when you do attach, you overly attach, which leaves you more vulnerable and you look at vulnerability as a negative thing. And so you really try to close that off. But then again, you can't ignore the existence of that high vulnerability in your emotional state. And so it's like this really weird, like push and pull game you play with yourself. Um, and so that kind of may be, you know, what it, what it looks like. So, um, okay. Now moving on to, you know, the other one. So the dismissive avoidance, right? These are people who avoid lots of things. So they tend to isolate, right? When they are feeling any kind of emotion, they tend to isolate. Uh, they kind of push themselves away from other people. These are people who really struggle a little bit with some depression and they have lots of social anxiety. Um, they tend to look at emotions as a negative thing when they are experiencing them because probably they have, um, I don't want to say acted out, but when they have been in highly emotional situations, bad things have happened. And so, you know, it's almost kind of trained them to not like emotions. So, um, they tend to really try to avoid them. These are people who really try to seek out like Zen in their life, you know, um, nothing is wrong with that. And I think, you know, even people with secure attachment style, like try to seek out that Zen, but these are people who really are kind of looking for an external factor to help them equalize to help them balance out and find that like equilibrium between emotionality and you know being closed off because again they've experienced that kind of they've ridden the waves of that emotion and they don't like it because it's very unpredictable um they have lots of ambiguity so they have a hard time making decisions they have a hard time committing right these are people who are in maybe relationships that you know, maybe they've been dating for like 15 years and they just don't, something about like that marriage like freaks them out, like that commitment. Um, even committing to an idea, they might be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then they, they don't really follow through with it. They find ways to kind of avoid it. They find excuses. Um, they commit to going to their friend's party, but then they kind of back out and they'd rather watch Netflix and there's really no real excuse why they can't go. <laughs> um, these are people who avoid conversations that they'd rather just not have. So they just don't have that conversation. And then they kind of go back to normal um, when they are out of, you know, their funk. Um, you know, they're very ambivalent. So they're just kind of like, eh, whatever. It is what it is, right? Again, it's that balance. They try to find that balance and Zen, which is like the positive aspect, but in the, in the harmful aspect of the way that it harms them emotionally and their relationships is that, you know, they're not in anyone's corner. They're in this person's corner. They're in that person's corner. They're playing both sides of the fence. They're seen as manipulative. Um, they avoid conversation. So when there's conflict, they, they just do not do conflict. Um, you know, and again, when they do 
conflict. <laughs> they're very much, they're agreeable. Um, and they don't, they don't have opinions one way or the other. They're just kind of like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> you know, they might express really strong emotions to another person and vent, but they will never really express that to the person that they are having the conflict with or the person who really needs to hear it. You know, they're kind of, again, they're very ambivalent. They're not in any one person's corner. They're not even in their own corner sometimes. They're just... They're always looking for this gray area because again, like high intensity and emotions and sides and black and white and decisions and all those things kind of freak them out. So they're very dismissive. They're very avoidant. Um, they're also emotionally distant again, because they're always trying to seek balance that they're just very much like, I'd rather have kind of no emotions than have too many. And so... They try not to engage in lots of emotions throughout the day, but oddly enough, they have lots of internalized emotions. And so they're actually highly emotional internally and very absent emotionally externally. Okay. So other people kind of look at them like, do they really have emotions? They're kind of cold. They're kind of like, like, what are they feeling? You know, like they're just very like ambivalent. They're very like, meh. Um, they're very gray, but that means like we can't not experience emotions as humans. <laughs> like we have a whole part of our brain, like just dedicated to that Our probably our most, the most, one of the most powerful parts of our brain, you know, the mammal brain, you know, the midbrain, um, dedicated to just the processing of emotions and the experiencing of emotions and the reacting to emotions. So it's impossible not to have them. So, uh, people in the dismissive avoiding, you know, kind of category or attachment style tend to try to ignore them. <laughs> and so they don't express them outwardly, but they still experience them inwardly, which, which lends to why they feel depressed and why they have to isolate from people and why they find it difficult to make decisions. And so they do experience high emotionality. These are people who will cry for like literally no reason. Um, they don't even know why they can like walk into a store and be so overcome with emotion. And then just like this wave and they just want to like cry. Um, um, or they just, they're just filled with rage and they just don't even know. And so if you're thinking to yourself like, oh my God, like, wow, <laughs> that explains so much, you know, um, these are people who, when they're in leadership positions might really, I mean, I think other than the secure attachment style, a lot of these other emotional, uh, attachment styles also struggle with leading again, because they have a lower functioning emotional intelligence score because again, of the way that they were kind of raised. And so that's why, again, I keep repeating this because so many people hear these things and they're like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. Oh my God. You know, and it's like, no, you cannot help these things. Okay. You cannot help experiencing them. You cannot help feeling them. You cannot help that they are your default setting, but you can help moving forward how you give into them, how you react to them. Once you are aware, right? This is what this is for to make you aware. Once you're aware of them, you have a better understanding of how to work with them moving forward. Okay, so on to the last one, which is, you know, the fearful avoidant, or, you know, a lot of people call it the disorganized attachment. Attachment. So this just kind of means that they have this internal push and pull that they really just don't understand. These are people who have really tumultuous uh, relationships. They're very unpredictable. They're very um, highly dramatic. They feed off drama because they live their life on this emotional roller coaster. They have high internal conflict. Um, so how they feel and how they act 
act might be very different. Um, what they know is right, but what they want in the moment might be very different, but they, they have to behave that way because again, their, their emotional needs are just way too strong. Um, these are people who engage in um, self-harming and numbing behaviors like drug use, alcohol abuse, sexual uh, promiscuity. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, the empowered female or the empowered male, like owning your sexual. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about using sexuality and using sex and using promiscuity as a means of self-harming and kind of degrading your your own self-worth because it's like this self-damaging self-loathing kind of thing um and some of you guys who are not in in the realm of psychology may be like what the hell people do that yes yes very much and you might even do it and not even realize it um you know it's it's almost like you're doing something to be outside of yourself you're doing something to control again these people are very controlling um unlike the anxious and preoccupied people who are self controlling highly controlled people and they try to control others the fearful avoidant like have to control others using their behavior. So they are highly manipulative um, because they are seeking to gain something for themselves, like to meet an emotional need. Again, they're sucking life. They're extracting life to give life to themselves, even if that life isn't positive life. Okay. You know how we've heard probably lots of times in this world, you know, even negative attention is attention, right? Uh, hold on a second. I needed a drink because I've been talking for 31 minutes without one. So, um, so they experience high internal conflict. Okay. So, um, they're constantly having to stir the pot. Do you know these people, right? They're constantly having to stir the pot. They're needing to create drama. They're needing to divide people because again, it's controlling. It is, I'm going to say something, you're going to react. I like that. That gives me a sense of security and control. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you not like this person by telling this person something else. And I'm going to watch you two fight, right? Because that gives me a sense of control. That makes me feel good about myself and what I was able to do. And because they experience high internal conflict, in order to help them disassociate from that, they need to create outward conflict with people. Some of you just literally, your mind was like, whoa, <laughs> right? You may know people like this. You may, you may self-identify as that person. You might have parents like that, right? How many of you guys had parents where, um, or caregivers in your life where they needed to do that? They needed to stir the pot. They needed to create dramatic situations in order to put the spotlight on themselves or to shine the spotlight on other people in order to make you view them in a more favorable light, right? Um, parents who split one another, right? Parent, a mom who makes you hate your dad, a dad who makes you hate your mom in order to look at them as more, in, as more favorable. Um, doing certain things again, it makes you, it, it meets a need, right? They're very dramatic. They thrive off conflict. Um, and this doesn't mean like they thrive off conflict, like they're really good at conflict resolution. No, they're just really good at creating conflict. They actually really, really, really suck at resolving it because they tend to avoid uh, resolution. They avoid problem solving. These are problem describers, right? Um, they have this like, woe is me kind of mentality and everything is an excuse and everything is externalized and everything is everyone else's problem, which is why everyone else needs to fix it. Um, because again, they're very avoidant and they're very fearful. And so unlike the dismissive avoidant people, right, who isolate, they're kind of living in the gray area, the fearful avoidant people pick either, they pick the extremes. Okay. They, they know 
no balance, okay? They don't live in any gray area. If they do something, they do it to the extreme. They're either zero or 100, okay? They go from calm to explosive. They go from stranger to best friend, okay? So um, a lot of times, you know, they, they are, uh, they fear rejection, okay? Um, they have low self-esteem, and high anxiety in relationships. So again, they're very controlling. And in order for them to experience um, that control, they need to kind of play people, okay? Um, Like I said, we kind of, you might know people like that. Um, And, you know, they might have, uh, when they do have, you know, like moments of, of clarity, um, you know, they even know there's something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Nobody loves me. Why doesn't anybody want to be my friend? Why is everybody talking about me? Why is this? Why is that right? They're very, they have a very low self-esteem and the way that they compensate is by feeling or portraying that they are overly confident by being overly controlling of others in their manipulative behavior. So they're fearful of making connections. They actually have very shallow relationships. So these are people who avoid closeness, but you would never know. No, because they have amassed lots of quote unquote friends, but there are you, you, there's no way to like literally look at these people and be like, but how, but how many like real friends do you have? Like their relationships feel very shallow and almost forced and even fake because they will turn on that person. They so call their best friend, right? And they're playing them or they, you know, uh, will just explode and be like, F you, I'm not your friend because, you know, whatever, like one little thing, right? Again, because that fearful attachment style, um, they have a negative view of other people. They're always assuming the worst in other people. You know, that's why they're, they thrive off drama. They're always talking about other people. Again, we already talked about that negative self-view. They seek closeness and avoid closeness at the same time. They have this very strange push-pull. It's like, I need to push you away to find how where you, where the edge is. And, when, and, and then once I push you so far, if I keep pushing you and you keep coming back, that proves to me that you love me, right? How many of you have a partner like that? How many of you have parents like that where they kind of keep pushing you away and testing you and doing all of these things? Um, Even these really hurtful things or even these really, you know, um, maladaptive things or melodramatic things just so that you will come to their aid, just so you will show up because that shows them that you love them. And so they need to push you to the edge. And if you still, if you're still there and haven't gone anywhere, they're like, okay, cool. This person loves me. Um, but it's only temporary because they're going to do it again. Right. You guys are like, oh my God, my mom does that. My dad does that. My sister does that. What the frick? (laughs) Right. Um, and so those are the, okay. So those are the four attachment styles. I want to know like, which one is yours? You know, don't, don't tell me, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, screenshot this and I mean, I definitely want you to screenshot this if you're getting any value from it. You know, screenshot it, tag me at thecourtneyrogers.co. Let me know what your biggest takeaway was. You definitely don't have to tell me which attachment style you are. I totally, totally get it. Um, 
But one, this is going to, if you're a parent, this definitely informs your parenting style. Um, and you're more aware of how you're parenting because how you were raised. And if you're looking at this like, wow, I don't like that I feel this way. I don't like how I, you know, I don't like that. Um, then you need to shift how you parent because chances are you are parenting out of your own attachment style and your child will have that attachment style as well. Um, and so if you don't like the way you feel, if you don't like the way you cope with things, if you don't like the way that you process information and, and you know, all this stuff, then you need to switch it up because that's exactly what you're passing on to them. Um, number two, this helps inform your personal relationships. If you have a spouse, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, if you um, have really close friends, family, whatever, and you're experiencing a lot of those things that we talked about throughout this entire podcast, and this may be that if you are in any kind of team or work environment, uh, that is the whole point. A lot of people may be like, I thought this was a business podcast, Courtney. <laughs> but here's the thing. What we do here on the Decoded Project is we blend the psychology, we blend behaviors and personalities, we blend the way the mind works with you know business and with success and with all those things that bl- you know, lend into it because... You know, business is numbers and it is sales and it is driven by all these other things that are more logical. However, you cannot extract the fact that business is run by people. Teams are run by people. They are led by people. And what do people have? They have brains, they have hearts, they have souls, they have pasts. Um, And all of these things help you understand how to be better in all of those realms, how to be a better salesperson, how to be more empathic to your customers, how to serve your audience, how to lead your team, how to be a team player. And all of those things end up you know, making you more or less successful. And so that's why it's important to know these things because I feel like a lot of times we're like, oh, social media algorithms and, you know, oh, how to get more sales and oh, how to do this. But when you take the person out of it, whether it's the person on the other end buying or the person on the other end selling, if it's the person being led, if it's the person leading, we tend to take all of those things out of, um, out of play and we discredit them, uh, you know, thinking like, oh, it doesn't really have anything to do with it. No, it does. Because if you are a person on one end selling and you have a secure attachment style and you are talking to a person with an avoidant attachment style, what are they going to do? No matter how much you talk to them, what are they going to do? They're going to leave you on red. They're never going to make decisions. They're going to be wishy-washy. They're going to flip-flop. They're going to, you know, they're going to leave you on red. They're not going to, you know, open your emails. They're going to let all your calls go to voicemail, right? They're, hello. I just said that and a lot of you guys were like, oh my God. <laughs> right? Or you recruit a team member who has a fearful attachment style, right? Fearful avoidant. And you're like, oh my God, they are like a demon on my team. They are like creating drama. They are dividing people. They are splitting. They are creating all of this nonsense. And, you know, I just can't keep them in check and my team is falling apart. Like, what the frick do I do? And you're well, there you go. <laughs> um, and the more that you see these things and the more that you're able to test the waters with people by experiencing things with them. I'm not saying like manipulate them or, or, or put them to the test. No, I'm just saying like doing certain things and being in certain situations where you are able to test these things um, and almost like test, test a theory, if you will, and see how they react. And you can put them in one of these three categories or one of these, excuse me, one of these four categories you are able to see how to um, predict how they might react, how how you might be able to accommodate certain things, how you might word things, who you will keep around, who you will fire, who you will work with, who you won't, right? 
So I want you to think about these things. And, and the next podcast, we're going to kind of talk about blending these into um, your work environment and how to go about managing um, the way you cope with these and the way you grow with these. So um, if you found value in this, if this kind of enlightened you in any way, uh, like I said earlier, definitely take a screenshot of what you're looking at right now and tag me at the CourtneyRogers.co, C-O, um, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, and let me know what your biggest takeaway was. And um, also, as always, let me know if there are any other subjects you want me to cover. You can DM me. You can put it in the posts that you make, whatever. I will see it. I will take it into account. I'm always looking for ways to serve you guys and to give you what you are looking for. So with that said, thank you so much. I will catch you in the next episode. Check you later.